0: G'day guys. Today we had on coach Nick McCullum onto the show. And if you have ever had an injury or problem with your body, here's the guy to see. Here's the guy to listen to. This podcast was insane. It literally blew my brain and he's got a client out of me. Like seriously... It was it was absolutely wild. If you guys are interested in what I do as coaching, I would strongly recommend heading over to my Instagram and sending me a little uh, a message. I run a program called Overcome the Chaos, which essentially helps people, be especially men, be the best versions of themselves, especially if at that point in their life where they're experiencing burnout, they've started to have success, they're they're sacrificing their health or their relationships to push themselves further. Send me a message and I'll get back to you and let you know some of the stuff. So if you really enjoyed this podcast or you get anything out of it, like please hit that subscribe. That would be awesome. And without further ado, I bring to you coach Nick McCullum and this podcast is seriously put your thinking cap on and get ready because this was an absolute ride. I hope you enjoy as much as I did. Nick, you stud. Thank you so much for
1: coming on to the show. No, nah, thanks for having me. It's uh, awesome to be on a podcast for the first time. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're, we're breaking his podcast virginity it's today. Actually, my virginity is being lost. <laughs> How does it feel, man? I, I hope you feel proud, bro. <laughs> <laughs> today I do. Today I do for sure.
1: Nah, it's good to be here, and it's um, you know, it's awesome to you know talk about some stuff that's whatever's whatever's relevant
0: yeah man because you've been like mastering your craft i've heard so much about, about you specifically since moving to the gold coast from like friends and athletes and stuff like that That's and good. yeah man i just love to know what have you been learning recently what are some new stuff that you've just been like this is great yeah it's
1: um yeah like it's interesting like i find probably in the last six or so years has probably been the the fastest development from my business standpoint. Um, But it probably comes as having a variety of individuals to work with, you know, like it's been a vast number of people that I've come in contact with that I've learned from their bodies and then being able to apply things that I feel as though is relevant to them. Like in the industry, in the fitness industry, like particularly is there's a large emphasis around obviously individuality, you know, everyone wants to make sure that everything's individual, but a lot of the time the industry trends sort of take away that individuality and people lose the ability to critically think for people themselves, like um, particularly around assessing someone's body and learning from their body and their past and what their past looks like and how they've currently got to the situation they're in. Whether it's injury, whether it's failed performance, and they're not no longer in a sports team because of their failed performance or whatever that may be. You know, it's um, identifying, I guess, the flaws within their current approach that hasn't allowed them to progress. Whether that's yeah, being injured or um not getting selected or whatever that may be. And I guess that's what I've I've done and I've had a few mentors along the way that have certainly helped me, you know, get to that that position. Um including um Ian King was a big contributor to that. He um you know, four decades, 30 different sports at international level. What? Crazy. Um 10 Olympic cycles he was involved in, you know, um you know, named the Romanian deadlift or contributed to naming the Romanian deadlift. Um named the back extension, you know, removed the emphasis of, of hyperextension and called it a back extension because he was sort of didn't understand why people were calling something that they don't tend to want, you know, going into hyperextension. So, um, and then developed the single leg RDL and the king deadlift and then speed of movement and then um, the lines of movement, which is everyone's familiar with quad dominant, hip dominant or horizontal push, horizontal pull. And he sort of ca- characterized exercises and made individuals understand that there is a rationalization between while we do something, and and gave individuals a little bit more of a a greater need for developing hypotheses with an individual before just going, hey, here's a program, take the program off, you go kind of thing. And I guess all I've done is is you know my I guess my job is if an athlete gets a extended twenty year career as a result of what I've done, that's I've done my part.
0: So, that's a good result, you know, though, bro. You know, Jesus, yeah, like
1: I think it's sort of lost where. Um, we pass individuals on to the rehabilitation therapist and off they go sort of thing. And then they come back to the coach and, and you know, we, they, com- they continue to complete that circle of like function, dysfunction, function, dysfunction. And they think that it's like they're eventually going to get out of that cycle. And it's because they're not identifying the problems within the approach itself um, that leads to them constantly going in circles and eventually getting spat out and off to the surgeon and their career's done. You know, so often in individuals, if you see the imbalance, they've either had the injury or they're about to have the injury. And I guess my job as a coach is to identify the imbalance and then understand that that individual has a pre-existing condition. And if we change it, we immediately positively influence the athlete, you know, if I and if I don't leave it. So most people these days have had strength training by the time they're 15, you know, someone's been exposed to strength training, which is crazy because when I started training, you know, I think I was one of the only ones in the in the training environment at 15 years old that was that young, you know, now everyone's doing it. So really these days is, is someone got um, a clean slate to start with. So, um, you know, you can either, by the stage they get to to me, they've already had two or three years of strength training, which may be negatively influencing their body. Um, yeah,
0: because they would have like had certain conditioning for learning that for a period of time. Yeah. And you're like, oh, we need to ah, tweak this. <laughs> you know, and even within
1: running sport, you know, most running sport athletes are quite dominant athletes and then they go into the training environment and look at their first exercise. It's usually a squat a lunge or something to that extent so you've got you've got life imbalances or sporting imbalances magnified by the training decisions that you create and that's just how the spiral of downfall you know if we if we don't address that you know it's one thing to take on an athlete and 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 have the athlete have no existing pre-existing conditions but then as a result of you training them you to then decline them that's a big problem you know like and that's what's happening globally in my opinion currently
0: well well, why why is that?
1: I think it's just a combination of, you know, it's it's the industry trends that, you know, a piece of information is usually published for commercial interests. Someone wants to make money out of, of, you know, selling equipment. And so we attach information bias towards that piece of equipment and that goes, take the, and this is nothing against the hip thrust, but take the hip thrust, for example. There's a certain individual market the exercise, lay down some information. Now we've got, you know, every single female in the gym thrusting thin air and, and, and loading their hips in a way that. You know, they may not have the ability to be able to selectively recruit, you know, their abdominals and their glutes to extend the hip, but now they've got this emotional attachment to, to, hey, I need this exercise to grow my glutes. Whereas there's a thousand and one different other exercises, which also, you know, aren't mid range glute exercises, are fully lengthened, you know, glute So you put the glute in a fully lengthened position, such as like a, say, a back extension, an RDL, a deadlift variation, etc., But they've sort of been glossed over because someone's now sold a commercial piece of equipment called, XYZ don't sue me. Um,
0: <laughs> it's, it's trendy to do. as It's well. trendy, yeah. yeah.
1: You know, and if if the athlete is, is predispositioned already to having, you know, say an anterior rotation, now they're going into hip extension or trying to go into hip extension with an anterior rotation, then we see, you know, back, you know, all kinds of issues stem from just that position. Then you you couple that with a whole bunch of quad dominant athletes already who may, you know, be prioritizing quad based exercise at the start of the workout, at the start of the week, and then going and sitting in an office for. Six to eight hours a day, and they wonder why their hips are shortened and their pelvis is rotating forward. And then, you know, so if we don't we don't understand the athlete's past, we have very little ability about to influence the future. And that's, I guess, what I've been able to do is is by deeply understanding and assessing the individual's past training history, um, we're able to to catapult them in the future. And sort of, there's no difference between back in the '80s and '90s and early 2000s. They used to sort of think that it was like. Um, performance increasing rehabilitation performance increasing rehabilitation so every six months you're either fixing an issue or trying to increase performance well there's sort of no real difference between those two things because if you're not addressing a problem you're declining from a performance standpoint you know so it's like the rehab's not being done accordingly because they're not actually integrating back into the what they need to be doing to reverse the issue in the first place you know so if the if if the joint's compromised to, to begin with you're never fixing a problem in your program decisions. You're always going to end up back in that same cycle. And that's the problem with most athletes is they get in a performance-based environment where they're high performance or they're in a, at a young age, they're placed into a, into a training environment that they're um, influenced. Like most athletes who are at high performance or AIS or whatever they're at, they get plucked at, say, 16 years old and told that they're going to be something great. And that's fantastic. But now they're influenced by that individual or that organization forever, you know? And so if they fall out of, of that because of injury, their only way to get back is to do some rehab, then go back to those same decisions that cause them to have the problem. So there's been cases where individuals I've had to work with have had to run a, a secret ops kind of mission on the side where I say just walk around the gym and just pretend you're lifting stuff. You know, pretend you're picking stuff up and walk around and just do nothing because you know, the decisions that I'm making is clearly declining your body. And we've got to try and reverse that and then try and integrate a way of thinking that's you know, going to change the athlete's body in a positive way.
0: Nick, I've got this problem in my hip, man. Kiki, <laughs> look at this real quickly. God for this? damn. <laughs> I didn't know this was going to be a work-off. <laughs> God damn it, we're a live work-off here. <laughs> we <control it>. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we can do, man, is we can tell you're quad-dominant. <laughs> well, what are some of the, like, most common things that come from you know people being quad dominant because I just find that it's, it's very common if you're running yeah. like whatever it is like a lot of people it seems to me like in my world a lot of people are quad dominant. So myself. a lot of athletes
1: when I first start working with them they have to earn the right to do the two things that I've done the most of generally speaking and that's if you look at most training programs it favours horizontal pushing and quad dominance. They press and squat. Hundred percent. And then what do we lead with at the start of most people's workout?
0: Squat, a, a squat or a bench, press. A bench press. Yeah, and so so we see the
1: most common thing that's done the most, which deteriorates the body the most, which has led to the front of the week, the front of the workout, you know, and that's just a powerlifting influence that someone once upon a time said that the most metabolically costing exercise should be the first thing. Now, if the athlete's got asymmetries or imbalances from left to right or front to back, or you know, um, isn't exactly identical from side to side, then putting a, a a high bar or a low bar squat at the front of the workout the front of the week is probably not the best thing you know and and everything's on a continuum My I mentor ian come up with the lines of movement continuum in that regard and and you know the the dif- differentiation between quad and hip dominant is based on the trunk angle if the trunk is vertical you know and the most vertical exercise in my opinion and you place the load to the front of the body is a front squat you know so you know if, you, if your trunk is a, in a vertical position that's going to be the most core dominant influence but as a as the trunk angle increases in more than 45 degrees, you involve more of the gluteals, more of the hamstring. Um, so if the athlete's already pre, you know, predisposition to having quad dominance in their sport, you know, the, the mode of specificity and there's that, that common thing that people talk about is being sport specific. Now, I don't know about you, but the most specific thing to me swinging a golf club is me swinging a golf club. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but me passing a rugby ball, the most specific thing I can do is pass a rugby ball. So now we've got athletes, you know, passing rugby balls on Swiss balls and, and passing weighted rugby balls and, 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 and learning how to throw, you know, um, with rubber bands and that stuff. So we're, we're recreating the imbalance that we're already applying in the sports environment in the strength training environment with load, which is the fastest way to magnify an issue. So you've got, you've already got the sporting imbalances, the athletes, maybe if they've swung a golf club, you know, one way for 20 years, they've got rotational imbalances to one side for 20 plus years. Now you're adding load to that. You know, we wonder why the athlete blows apart, you know. So it's one thing to be specific, but there's a mode of meat maybe needing to be, um, non-specific at a period of time to reverse the imbalances the athlete has. And as a result of that, now we actually, um, change the joint relationship. And, and, and maybe as a result of that, we optimize function. And, and as a result of that, the performance increases, you know. So if we decline the athlete's function, the, the discussion about being specific or non-specific is irrelevant. We just have to optimize the function first. And then the the taking care of themselves. And if you look at most rugby or take rugby union, for example, is, is athletes, you know, putting a, a you know, rugby or running sport in general, there's an influence of horizontal displacement. The sport itself is majorly horizontal displacement. Unless you're taking up and under and you're coming up off the ground and you're jumping, then that's vertical displacement. So think about vertical displacement versus horizontal displacement. What is a squat? It's vertical displacement, right? A deadlift is horizontal. So do I like a deadlift for an athlete who's a running sport athlete? Commonly, yes. Why? Because the immediate um, starting position of a of a deadlift is very similar to the starting position of a run, you know? And so the trunk angle is relevant. And then obviously as the need of, of more vertical displacement as the run continues and, and, and as they get to the greater end of their max velocity, it does become more relevance to a squat, but if we're constantly leading with the squat, we may be deteriorating the athlete because you know they've already favoured the quad, you know, within their running sport. You know, and the other thing is, is, is when an athlete runs, how how wide are their feet?
0: Oh, like there's no width. No width. So <laughs> why
1: why does most most athletes squat outside shoulder width? You know, there, there, there's but they should be doing lunges. <laughs> well, maybe, but in yeah. the sense of, and that's still leading to the influence of the quad, but. You know, when an athlete runs down the down the field, their feet are very narrow. Oh, so yeah. us us taking a wide stance with their feet externally rotated, you know, when it, does an athlete need external rotation in their run? No. Have you ever watched an athlete run them? They they don't externally rotate. You know, <laughs> yeah. so so you know, and then and then the influence of running on sand is a bigger problem. You know, you run on sand yet the the um the modality that you use or the the surface sorry that you use to to train the athlete on may now be deteriorating the athlete's ability to run also you know so you've got a combination of things as as the way you train the athlete but then also the the surfaces that you you train the athlete on so you may need to be the sort of relevance for specificity is is if you take stretching for example if I tell you Corey to go stretch so your hip flex is in your chest right now because you're doing a lot of podcasts, you're sitting down for a long period of time and then you're, you know, you're sitting in this position and you're also sitting with, a, you know, shortening your hip. How do you know where my injuries are? <laughs> <laughs> How long is the left shoulder been sore for now? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so... Um, You know, and if I go tell you to do that, that's relatively non specific. I can give you a relatively random stretch and it could be somewhat specific to you as an individual. As we go down the continuum, strength needs to be a little bit more specific to you. But if you do strength training tomorrow, it's not going to negatively impact you the next day. It might, but it's not going to necessarily change your life tomorrow. But say if we go run in a particular way that may negatively decline us, you know, the fastest way to decline an athlete, you know, add acceleration, add change direction, add max velocity, add an impact with another player you know, then we're in trouble, you know. So, so, if then the athlete goes into that with some pre-existing conditions, like if your left shoulder goes into contact right now, you might pop that, you know, because of the lateral edges is being exposed and maybe you have more internal rotation left side and you're sitting a little bit more elevated on that left side, you know. So, if, if we go into contact with that, that's a pre-existing condition. If I don't fix that as a coach, the athlete's compromised, you know. And, and so, it's, it's, it's more than just going, hey, um, I don't really relate. If my numbers are going up in the gym, I haven't just done my job. You know, if I've if I've created an imbalance and now the athlete's compromised, now now they're truly gonna be compromised when they go out in the sports field. And the, the numbers that an individual or an athlete lifts in the gym is really irrelevant to how they perform in the sports field. You know, and and, and that's been misinterpreted. Um but the industry is still a very young industry. I think it's about fifty two years old. I think Bord Eppelee was in Lincoln, Nebraska, was the first coach we paid to coach strength athletes, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I think, yeah, it's about fifty two or fifty three years old the industry. So we're still learning, you know, it's still, it's still very, but I don't want to make that excuse for athletes and their bodies, you know, I don't want to make, Hey, no, we're still an and in a fifth decade of this, you know, there's no point doing that for athletes because they're going to wonder why their career fell in tatters. Um, but it's just, yeah, unfortunately that most strength training that most individuals are doing are negatively influencing the athlete's body. And then they're declining from a, you know, from a skill standpoint. So people will sort of often look at athletes and go, oh, I wonder why he's not as good as what he used to be five years ago. It's like, well, maybe if you had a little bit of a closer look at the way the athlete's trained over the last five years, we can peel back the layers. Now we look at the athlete's joint relationship and how their body's now being compromised. Now a result of the way they've trained, their actual their skill has actually declined in that period of time. So it's it's one thing to understand, okay, the athlete's getting stronger, but is the, is the strength in the short-term relevant now that the athlete's exploded in the long-term, you know? So they might get faster and stronger in the short-term, but as a result of the way you've trained them, they've now exploded in their body, you know?
0: It just comes down to literally like like everything you do is so important. Like yeah. like the mindful of training and really understanding your body and the awareness of that is like so critically important. Yeah, and if My you girl. walk
1: around the supermarket, you can quickly have a look at someone's body. You know, I went to the shops the other day and I looked at a mannequin with a T-shirt on it and, and, and the mannequin was sitting there and, and it was like this. It was internally rotated and uh, had hyperextension of <laughs> the knees and I was like, that's the way we're now fitting clothes to mannequins. So... It's, it's 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 that's now the example of, of how individuals' bodies look, you know. So, because of the popularity of strength training, and, and, and it's fantastic that people have learned how to lift more load and how to you know strength training. That's great. That people getting in the gym at a young age and looking after their health. But as a result of the way they're training, in the short term, in the long term, they're now breaking. You know, I may want to recreate my posture a little.
0: bit. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do a full stretching session now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> So, yeah. so what are like the most like common things that you see that people see and what would be like, because obviously it's, as you mentioned, so individualized, yeah. but just commonly, what's like the most common thing you see then what's like the most common solution when you're like, Oh, this is, very, this is it again, you need to do this. And then you're like, oh. yeah. So probably went
1: in a big circle that last question, but when someone comes to see me, when I said that there's a major influence of the quad and the horizontal pushing muscles so the chest and then also the quad, and the hip flexor length, uh, my firm belief is that the, the length and tension of the hip flexor, in my opinion, it determines the health of the lower body. You know, if the hip flexor length is and the tension is compromised, I tend to see uh, the health of the lower body, including the lower back, being compromised. And I don't, uh, for the health of the lower body to be good, I want no back pain. I want no hamstring strain. I want no calf pain. I want no groin strain. I want nothing. I want no, no sense of pain in the lower body you know and and the role that the abdominals play in that relationship is if the abdominals you know aren't being trained in a way that's fortuitive of the of the pelvic position being in a strong position now you know people just assume that you can train your abdominals by doing the big three now that's you know the biggest load of crap i've ever heard is, is you know, you're not training the function of what the abdominals' main purpose is, and that's to stabilize the pelvis. And if you aren't doing that, you may be compromising your lower body health and also your performance in your lower body. So, in my opinion, 99.9% of individuals should train their abdominals before they shrink train. For that reason, in terms of the health of the lower body, every
0: time they shrink train, you reckon?
1: I believe so. Yeah. yeah, and and the fact that it's done last is a reflection of the industry trends. Is is the way that we've we've decided that you know it's as another mentor of mine and and the, um is Tudor Bompa and Bompa's theories of of um mythology of training was he developed five laws and the laws the number one law was develop joint flexibility and the order of priorities of sequence is develop joint flexibility first and that's going against the major popularity of most people what they love to discredit stretching as being this thing you can't do before strength training now you know there's going to be some people probably listening to this going, oh you can't stretch you know you can't stretch before you train you'll be weak you know well I want you to, to try and apply the study that they applied with that in a practical environment. Because when an athlete walks in the shrink training environment, my athletes don't go straight to the squat rack and start squatting. You know, my athletes will spend 30 to 45 minutes, if not an hour, if they have the time to prepare their bodies from a stretching, flexibility, tension reduction, whatever they have to do. They have an individual flexibility guideline to follow to, to try and change the condition of their joint prior to training. And, and when they walk into that training environment, they already have a, have a conscious competence or somewhat unconscious competence level of understanding as to how compromised they are and and where they are so they know what they have to do to change their you know position of certain joints. Bomper's next law was develop the um what was it the um tendon and and, sorry tendon and ligament health next and you know so again if you change the position of of the joint you change the position of the way that the joint now innervates with the rest of the body is is now you may be influencing the way the tendon innervates as well so If then his third law moves on to the abdominals and and, and then the smaller stabilizer muscles before the prime movers. Now, think about most program designs is you lead with the largest movements first, whereas if you maybe deprioritize the larger movements for a period of time, and it's obviously individual specific in terms of if their overall annual year of their training, if they have a competition, say powerlifting, if the powerlifter stays in his powerlifting specific lifts all year round, he may be compromised. But if he comes away from those powerlifting movements, whether it's placing them at the end of the workout or at the end of the week, they may now be in a better position come when they come back to the competition phase to be able to lift greater load and have a, have a better you know the good powerlifters, Cohen, Kaz, all those guys, what do they do And the in the GPP or the generalized part of the year, the part of the year where they're being less specific, they go from being a um, in the competition phase a wider stance squat to the competitive uh, sorry, in the yeah, in the competition phase being a wider stance squat and the generalized phase being a, a narrower stance. Why? Because there's a significant amount of wear, hip hip, wear and tear the wider the stance. You know, and that's not my problem. It's their problem they've got to live with for the rest of their existence. But <laughs> you know, um, but now in most training environments is what do you see? Is really wide stance squats because the load potential in that position is is higher, you know, but but yet it doesn't teach them the maybe the flexibility that they need to squat with a narrower stance. Um, so then, you know, going down the continuum on that is other things that you commonly see is, is a larger emphasis on the horizontal pushing muscles and that being prioritized the front of the week because every male wants a big chest, you know, but because of the way they maybe prioritized their chest training, now they've dehypertrophized their ability because of what they've done over a significant period of time. You know, now they have large amounts of internal attachment. Take an example, Aaron Pilates, IFV Pro, you know, loved his chest, loved training chest. Unfortunately, it was one of his lagging body parts. So psychologically, he thought, hey, I need to train more of that. You know, as a result of doing that, more internal rotation and, and more, you know, protraction in the shoulder and, and and leading to that position. He also was driving concrete trucks with a Sparky and did multiple other businesses. And, and as a result of all his life, riding motorbikes was in the shape, you know. And so when it comes to trying to grow his chest, it's not a very good position to try and grow your chest from, you know, when you're in that sort of internal rotation, you know, kyphotic position. And, and so he had declined his hypertrophy potential. So being too specific for a long period of time, not only declined his ability to grow a muscle, it's also led to a, a shoulder injury, you know, and so then you can imagine if you, if you simply look at that for what it is, you know, at the physical therapy that had been applied for that individual was being really non-specific as well. Hey, life face down and massage and get your back rubbed. Well, just looking at your program design, uh, take one look at your program design and we can see where the tension reducing activity should have been prioritized, not at the back, the front. You know, so unfortunately, the way that physical therapy is being done globally, I would say, is really non-specific to the athlete's needs most of the time. And it just takes one look at the athlete to be going, hmm, I think his shoulders are being pulled forward. Maybe he should be released from the front, not the back, you know, and and then that's really commonly missed is if an athlete's been prioritizing certain variables in the training environment. And what I say is when a physical therapist doesn't really integrate back into the athlete's needs is... They're not considering how the athlete re, um, integrates back into what they're actually trying to, to achieve. They just think, hey, I've got this athlete for the next 15, 20 minutes and I'm just going to treat what I feel as though might have a, um, a beneficial effect in the short term. You know, they yeah. might walk out feeling okay. But I've heard I've heard physical therapists treating an individual and then they tell them to go put ice on their shoulder for the next, you know, two days. It's like I want immediate transfer. When an athlete walks out of my office, I want them to feel instantly different. You know, there should be instant change. There should be transfer from what we've just done. And I have a saying is if, if the physical therapist, if you're not better within two weeks, you should run, you know, because because you find out really fast if something's working or it's not working. You know, there's immediate transfer. So I want fast transfer. And I say that physical therapy in Australia generally is too slow, you know, and, and I've heard physical therapists in this country say oh, they look forward to an ACL tear because it gives them a year's worth of work. You know, and that's the reality of the current condition of the way that most people think around injuries it's a period of time that they just go oh well injuries just happen well i don't think injuries just happen because of through my career and through my mentors and other individuals that i've been associated with we've sort of come to this conclusion that there is things that can you know give you um, insights into the athletes you know their pre-existing conditions and if you don't act upon that there's two types of injuries the injury that's either happened or it's about to happen you know if you don't <laughs> identify <laughs> that then you're in trouble you know if i'm looking at your left shoulder right now you know that, that's a pre-existing condition if i don't address that you know you're in trouble you know so so from an athlete preparation perspective is if we don't do something about that you know down the road you might get compromised and that's now my fault you know and there's not not enough people in this country putting their hand up and saying oh the way that i train that athlete you look take afl for example how many athletes blow their acl annually in, oh in, that, in that sport
0: oh you hear it all the time
1: it's it, all ridiculous time, you know it. so now an athlete just literally takes a step off his right foot and his acl blows you know and they'll say oh it's just the nature of the sport oh is it you know i didn't realize that that you know running in in, in a in different multi-directional sport just creates acl tears i once had an athlete go to me oh you know i've got a bad knee and I go, oh yeah, you got bad knees, yeah. And they, she sort of goes, yeah, playing hockey, bad knees, you know. I said, oh, interesting. I played hockey as a younger kid, played multiple different running sports, you know, um, and you know, I never got a, you know, I never got a um, a bad knee from it. And and she goes, going no, no, no. Playing hockey consistently for a long period of time just makes you know bad knees happen. I said, oh, out of interest, do you see anyone for your bad knees? And she she goes, oh, I see a physical therapist. Oh, how long have you been seeing him for? Oh, nine months. Oh, is it feeling any better? Oh yes and no it has its days i said out of interest do you see a personal trainer yeah yeah i do actually oh and a lot of body days what do you prioritize um squats lunges leg press (laughs) maybe a hip thrust and like "Mm." (laughs) no and out of interest when you go see your physical therapist what are you prioritizing that um he dry needles my glute and my hamstring oh interesting so he's not even releasing the muscle that you're using primarily the most which is the quad you know so so it's yeah you start seeing a bit of uh it's almost like your eyes are open. It's red pill versus blue pill kind of mentality. You know, it's like I can show you what your life has looked like to this point or you can decide whether you know, whether or not you change. So it takes a bit of time for the athlete to come to conclusion that the decisions that they've made or someone's made for them is a result of the situation they're in. But once they get past that, they sort of go, okay, well, you know, what Nick is highlighting to me is that I actually have control over the variables that influence my situation.
0: Yep. Dude, how, how did you get those mentors, man? You know, like that, <laughs> that for you, because that's grassy, like greatly, was vastly separating you from like the other stuff because you're so sort ahead of, of the game.
1: Yeah, so Ian's yeah. phenomenal, and what he's and um, and what he's done in his career, and, and how he influences individuals to to think. Um, but I was compromised myself. I come over here from New Zealand at about nineteen, yeah, about nineteen years old, and I started playing cricket again after a year off. I competed in bodybuilding. You know, and I realized really quickly I wasn't going to go very far in bodybuilding. You know, I was a cricketer and a closet bodybuilder. <laughs> and um, so I realized that that was not going to happen. So I tried to reverse some of my, my own training decisions. And I was like every other kid, you know, in the, in the teens wanting to, you know, grow a bit of muscle and, and, and then also wanted to play running sport. But I didn't realize that the way that I was training was deteriorating my body you know so you know then i as a result of the individuals you know i work with directly myself to to help with my own body i I got put on to to ian's work and then i come across this way of thinking that i found a lot of people weren't seeing and i was like wow there's a lot of people not seeing what i see now and then for a while there i was trying to influence a lot of people to start thinking the way i was thinking i was realizing that that was creating you know um it was threatening people's morals it was upsetting a lot of people that i had this different approach so and if you're comfortable in your direction, other directions don't really upset you, you know. And that's something that most individuals um, tend to struggle with is, is you know, they, they see someone doing something different. And it's like, oh, my God, he can't, that can't be right. You know, I've done five <laughs> years at university and, and wait, he's got him out of pain. What do I do now? <laughs> you know, and, and so so I don't really attach myself to ideas or information. I attach myself to the result of what we've done and has it had a positive or negative effect you know i'm less interested in the literature you know someone i don't give a stuff about the science i don't give a stuff about you know individuals that that you know um their pre-existing thought processes as to you know who's influenced them i'm only interested about the athlete you know and and the things that we're going to do right now and then over the next however long i work with that person um how we're going to change their body you know so there's a lot of people who associate themselves to information it's like okay what if that information's imperfect, and in ten years' time, it's made to seen to be seen imperfect because there's a new study that gets published? You know, so take static stretching. As I said before, is, is that most individuals disregard stretching in general. It's the, probably the thing that's one the least. It's the most cost effective thing you can do for your body to look after yourself. You know, there is no real, what are they going to sell for stretching? You know, a $15 rubber band and and, <laughs> and maybe the bandana that winds you out and your legs slightly open up. But besides yeah. that, there's really, they're really struggling to, to sell commercial pieces of equipment, which is why there is a lack of, you know, um, science to support the use of static stretching. You know, but now I've got individuals walking in a strength training environment and swing their leg back and forth and they think that's stretching. You know, it's, it's, that's you're increasing the joint temperature, but you haven't actually increased the connective tissue length or tension. And, and, and if you haven't done that, then you may be compromised from a from a loading standpoint because you reduced range of motion and the joint may be compromised. You know, so if you attach yourself to ideas or thoughts, you know, that might come back to bite you. I and mean, in the world that I live in with competitive athletes, is, is you know, if I attach myself to ideas or thoughts, that may significantly affect my ability for the athlete to achieve. You know, imagine being that, sitting back when you're older and going, I hadn't thought like that and hadn't been so close-minded maybe my athlete might have won a gold medal you know and you know I could be the cause of that you know, so the world that I come from I had 20 coaches who coached relatively high level professional athletes you know breaking down every single training decision and if I just made a decision unconsciously as to you know oh I got Corey doing this and this because currently in the industry it's popular they go why why'd you do that you know it's, there's more to it than just thinking oh well, you know someone wrote a study and said that that's the best way to train and then I'm, I want to dive a little bit deeper than that, you know, and that's, that's, I guess, what, what I do is, is I break down those industry paradigms, you know, and, and try and, try and give the athlete the best opportunity by being detached to information in that regard. Yeah.
0: It's so relieving, like, as an athlete, hearing that as well. And it must get, like, so distracting sometimes because you hear all of the noise.
1: <laughs> yeah. As you said,
0: just focusing on one athlete. Yeah. Would be crazy. But, dude, like, what actually motivates you? to yeah you know, keep um, doing stuff and i guess you forward.
1: F- for me being coming from a competitive background and myself with cricket and you know sport growing up is <clears throat> giving someone else the opportunity that maybe i lost through just the way that i trained myself and then I, I never was injured but in the sense of i never my career never stopped but definitely the way that i trained may have influenced me i look back now and i think that i could have had a had a maybe a professional career that i I should have had if I hadn't trained the way that I had. You know, I remember being at national tournaments and going on the on the off days yeah. and, and going and training legs, you know, and, and walking out nearly vomiting, you know. That maybe maybe <laughs> maybe has a problem with the way that I'm going to play the next day, you know. Closet bodybuilder yeah, problems. closet bodybuilder <laughs> problems, you know, so.
0: Why is this cricketer so jacked?
1: <laughs> Basically, all the boys just say, you're always the last to leave the eating, the eating cafeteria area. And I'm like, hmm. But yeah, so, so. Uh, if I, if I give someone else the opportunity that maybe that I didn't have as a result of the way that I thought at the time, you know, that, that, that inspires me to, to change someone's, you know, ability in that regard. And, and, you know, I want to see people have, you know, 20, 30 year careers where they don't have any injuries. You know, it sounds pretty hectic that that's, you know, it sounds pretty hectic that that's possible, but it, it is possible. It's just, it's the level that
0: you decide to go to. To understanding the athlete's needs I, sh- I shouldn't say this on the podcast but no one goes see nick because i'm seeing nick <laughs> he's got a waitlist list and stuff all right guys i'm first on there god damn <laughs> yeah it's getting
1: it's getting crazy like that and it's it's cool because obviously um you know the word of mouth is the most powerful and in the absence of being associated to a facility or a particular brand or a company and having people wanting to come to you you get to find out how good you are in that regard and that's it's. It is cool that that's had a, a gradual effect as I've, you know, begin to transition from, you know, sort of run-of-the-mill personal trainer to then studying under my mentors and then going to do some physical therapy study and then being able to sort of control a full athlete's preparation. You know, it's it sort of I always it was inspired to work with athletes because that's where I came from, you know, and working with general population is fantastic. They have the challenges because some athletes or some general population clients don't necessarily understand you know, all the variables that are necessarily required of them to, to apply. But, you know, you get some really great general population because they're less emotionally attached to information. A lot of athletes come with a lot of pre-existing mental, you know, um, thoughts to, with the way that they should train. You know, they've been in an environment since 15, 16 years old, high performance, and they've been told that they're fantastic. And then the way that they have trained, declined them, they still think that, Hey, I've still got to train that way. You know, so it, it's, it's hard at times to try and, work with both but it's it's it is rewarding when you get people who come in with an empty cup and and you know and then they lose attachment to ideas and thoughts and they just think hey with me and my body right now and my intuition what can i do to change my current situation and then my influence is most athletes you know more about your body than i will ever know but me giving you the tools to understand how consciously competent you can be with your own body is a whole nother story you know so every single person i come into contact with it's a new learning experience every single person that i influence is is still going to be a new learning experience because we don't know what's going to happen you know this this bullshit paradigm of of functional training that's that's come to light there is no such thing as functional training i don't understand how something's going to be applied to you until i've done it if i give you a training program we find out whether it was functional or not but me saying to you whether something was functional before you've done it it's kind of irrelevant i can have a pre-existing thought that i think, hey. Corey goes and applies this. That might influence his shoulder to be, you know, in a bit better of a place we don't find out if it transferred until you've done it so this whole myth these individuals writing their books on functional training you know they should move to canada where it's legal um, <laughs> <laughs> I was <just> <laughs> but you know like in the sense of you know they they perhaps need to consider their thought around you know the decisions as, as when an athlete runs down the field you know people writing books on on unilateral training you know unilateral training is a fantastic fantastic paradigm that's been you know developed but you know when an athlete runs down the field how long do they have their foot on the ground for it's a split second you know so if we add a large load to that single leg exercise we may be declining their ability to transfer to this sport you know difference differentiate that between bodybuilding is bodybuilding athletes they might have you know asymmetrical imbalances that using unilateral training is 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 more relevant for but we can't just go unilateral, but we also can't fix unilateral issues with just bilateral work, meaning two-legged for people who are listening. Two-legged work and, un- and, and one-legged work, unilateral is one-legged and two-legged is, is bilateral. And, and so there is a need for unilateral work, but my belief is is that the way that unilateral training is being done is, is the thought that everything needs to be heavily loaded. You know, well, The attachment to load is, is a big problem, is I'm more interested in how the athlete lifts the load than necessarily the load that they're using you know and, and unless you're in the strength sports weightlifting or powerlifting the way they lift the load is kind of irrelevant for every other athlete you know and so unfortunately as, as most teams unless you lift the load you don't get selected in a lot of teams and that's a big problem because now we've got athletes who will go down to the bottom of a squat or move into a deadlift or move into an olympic lift and they lose control of the pelvis and they lose control of the shoulder in a press or whatever it is and now they go into the field, and when they're running on the sports field, hmm, why is that pelvis flapping around like a barnyard door? I'm not sure. And that's what's happening, you know. So if we decline in the way that we train, now a power lift is a little bit different. I might have a different set criteria for a strength sport, whereas I go, the athlete's probably going to lose his shape at some point. But perhaps in his rest of his training year, we influence that shape by ensuring that we have sort of a bit of an insurance policy. But a power lift will be like to me, Nick, I don't give two stuffs about what my pelvis is doing. I'm just worried about how much load I, li- how much load I lift but if you're if you're increasing your rate of anterior rotation your pelvis is no longer in the position that it should be to optimize your load that you're then going to lift you may have reduced nerve supply down your leg that may be a consideration that you want to make from a load output perspective you know so so i believe every athlete no matter what sport what discipline what activity they're involved in if you if you change the level of dysfunction they have in the body you may be influencing their ability you know and and if and if you know, if, if we don't do that, we may be opening the door for tragedy in that regard as well.
0: Dude, crazy. What about for building muscle?
1: So, for hypertrophy, you know, so there's this thought in the bodybuilding world that, you know, you ever heard a bodybuilder say, oh, you know, injuries just happen in bodybuilding. I've got stuffed elbow, I've got stuffed knees of, you know, I'm sick and hip replacement. Why? Why does it happen in bodybuilding? What's the relevance of an injury in bodybuilding? Think about the sport. It's, it's literally the most controlled environment yeah it's the most there is no yeah. need for anything for any injury to happen and the reason injuries happen in bodybuilding it's like a, a petrol engine versus a diesel diesel slowly you know it's like a, a slow steam train it slowly blows up over time whereas a, a petrol engine goes bang and that's the difference between running sport and and bodybuilding is bodybuilding is more like a diesel engine and so bodies and, and bodybuilding they tend to slowly decay because the the position of of the joints slowly change and as a result of the decisions that the athletes made over a period of time take aaron for example aaron's probably one of the most if not the the currently the best bodybuilder in australia right the individual he had you know um 15 years of of strength training prior to coming to me um had large amounts of internal rotation he had um basically his shoulder issues where the subacromial space is reduced over time due to the dominance of horizontal pushing and and also he had um you know larger dominance in his upper trapezius than his lower traps and you know, and if you looked at his physical um, body, if you've seen a picture of his his upper trap development versus his lower trap development, and then also with what we've done in the last eighteen months, you'll see the changes he's made from a development perspective just as a result of reversing his decisions. And so, bodybuilders tend to think that they just have to see a muscle and they have to grow it. But you being specific in the short term trying to grow your biceps might then, in the long term, negatively affect your ability better to grow your biceps. Likewise for your legs. If if you've been really specific, "Hey, I want to be, have bigger quads." Cool. Try be more specifically quads, but you just placing more volume in that area may have a longer lasting effect and now you change the position of the bones, now you're actually decreasing your ability to create hypertrophy in that area. You know, so if we if we decline the way we function as a result of the way that we train from a decision-making perspective, now we may be hindering our ability to better grow from a hypertrophy perspective. So, that, you know, and there's a, a, that's a very individual specific type of conversation because not everyone's going to present the same things but if you look at most bodybuilders what do most bodybuilders do on a monday or tuesday they press (laughs) (laughs) chest day you know international chest day so you know most most bodybuilders will train chest on a monday probably quads on a tuesday you know and then oh they might get thursday friday train back and then and look at most bodybuilders how many bodybuilders prioritize any hip hinge work any work that trains the hamstring the glutes and extension aaron's a prime example aaron's got some of the biggest hamstrings in australia very rarely did a hip extension exercise and even if he did you probably looked at him conventionally deadlifting. his shoulder arm relationship would change and he would probably favor the quad in that lift you know so so what i mean by that is his his trunk raised up first and then as a result of his trunk raising up first he actually took the emphasis off the posterior chain and placed it the center of gravity to the back of the body which then placed the load on the front of the leg which then influenced the quad so you've got you couple quad training in the, in the front of the week with his um, leg training, then couple the, the, the deadlift or the, the pattern that he perceives as being more hamstring and glute dominant, but then actually using more quad. You know, so and also, if think about this, is think about a horizontal pushing. What, what's supporting you in a horizontal push? You got a back pad. In a, in a rowing exercise, what have you got to support you? Maybe chest supported row. But outside of that, if you're not using a chest supported row, you've got no influence of anything supporting you in your position so is the load potential maybe a factor yeah i've probably got more load potential what do you bench press me yeah
0: well it used to be really big now it's not so big anymore <sighs> regularly yeah. i'll bench press like probably 120 or one okay
1: what do you think you could bent over a row without having any movement or momentum or having any swing and maintaining a horizontal trunk angle
0: honestly like 40 kilos yeah probably
1: so there's a massive difference between the load potential of those two exercises now if we don't reverse that in some way back in the 80s and 90s they used to think that the back was the back and if you did it, you could choose whether you did a, a, a pull down or a row, you know, you could choose between the two and then there was a little bit of education around the lines of movement and that's where Ian come up with the concept of horizontal pulling, you know, and, and you know, people used to just lean back and they get a little bit of both on the pull down. <laughs> <laughs> but before, you know, after after that thought process, then they decided that, hey, maybe there is a relevance of doing more horizontal pulling work. But... If if the athlete's shape's being compromised, we then deteriorate their ability from a hypertrophy standpoint. You know, so if 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 the athlete doesn't deadlift, the upper back load potential is at even worse, even sorry, even further decline because if the athlete's not deadlifting, they're never experiencing similar loading to what they're bench pressing. So you've got a dominance with already bench pressing, already probably in a working environment which favors the horizontal pushing musculature. Now we look at the shoulders. I tend to look at an athlete and go, the the rate of deterioration in their shoulder sort should sh- shows how long they've shrink trained for you know if I if I feel an athlete's back and it feels like a you know like um some sort of BMX track you know it's it's it it, it tends to be sort of a reflection as to how long they've trained you know and a, a bit similar down the downstream if we see you know a um bit of like um of a, a skate ramp in the lower back like this Gold Coast City Council wanted to grab most people's um, lower backs and make skate ramps out and they could because it's the way they've shrink trained. you know and and so we've seen we've seen the the positioning of most people's pelvis as a way as a result of not only life influence and most people you know if most people didn't shrink train they just went throughout life and 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 didn't really do do a lot of heavy lifting and stuff like that and and maybe worked an office job they could probably get through most of their life without having a a knee or hip or back you know major surgery but the way we shrink train (laughs) enhances the, uh, imbalances and then magnifies them. So, you know, you take, take, um, don't sue me, CrossFit, take CrossFit, for example. Um, you know, there's going to be retirement villages specially built for them in the future, you know, cause it's going to really be a, you've, you've taken a lot of randomized training. You put it in an environment where, where fatigue is at its highest. And this is the same for cross training environments where fatigue is at its highest and, and the usefulness of the way we lift the load is the way the body adapts. So if I, if I watch you t- do a squat, and as a result of you now squatting and your pelvis starts to change, you're adapting to that way that you're now, you know, lifting the load. And we, the, the greater the load we have, the greater the breakdown will be. You know, so if, if I want to deteriorate an athlete, hey, let's mix strength training methods with endurance-based methods and then and then monitor the rate of decline, you know. And that's what's happening in most training environments with minimal education around how to do that. And, I, and I'm sorry, form is not the last variable to, to injury. Form is one of the last lines of defense for injury but the decisions around what we prioritize is a, is a greater, you know, discussion. So, do you think most, you know, cross-training environments are teaching people how to use their posterior chain and use to, you know, um, brace their abdominals and, and 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 prioritizing more rowing than pushing? Probably not. But look at those majority of those people that are going to into office working environments and and what they do most of the day—they sit in this position, you know, shortened hip, in a an, shortened anterior at the front of their upper body, and and then they're going to the training environment doing a thousand push-ups and a thousand squats. <laughs> you know, so it's pretty. When you sit back and look at it, you, you start to go. It's
0: yeah. explaining my routine, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what like- about what about the people that do that? Literally, like in, in the CrossFit realm, you, you do see some people out there, some athletes, which are crushing it with the endurance, yeah, Ooh. and crushing it with the strength. Is they just more aware and they understand programming better? Like,
1: yeah. There's also a genetic tolerance, you know. So the individuals, depending on their hormonal levels, and also you know, their past influence and what they've done prior may have a greater ability to withstand, you know, certain training for a longer period. It doesn't mean that they're not going to eventually, like the saying is little leopards become big leopards and big leopards bite, you know, in, the, in that sense is that, you know, if, if if an athlete continues to do something for a long period of time, it's like a take a golfer, for example. I've got a number of golfers that, you know, one's as young as 15 and she's going really well. Now, she come to me with, with pre-existing conditions of, of three disc bulge now what three disc bulges at, at, at 15 years what? old What? yeah and and so and and it was doing shrink training you know prior to the injury so that's a concern as you know you you used to to get a back injury you used to have to do or sorry no to get rotational imbalances sorry withdraw that statement to get rotational imbalances you you used to um have to literally play golf or, or a sport with a rotational influence. Now we just have to do trendy weight training exercises. You know, we just have to swing a kettlebell a certain way or you know a, a sledgehammer or whatever they use in, in a lot of cross-training environments. You know, so with rotational imbalances, if we want to speed the rate of decline up, we just, you know, rotate with load. You know, so for an athlete who who like a golfer who may have the influence of going one way for a constant period of time, we might have to swing the club the other way at some point, you know, not in the sport, but maybe outside of the sport, you know, maybe in the training environment, if the right-handed golfer is constantly swinging one way, we might have to, you know, swing a few left-handed. Same if a freestyle swimmer goes in and his, his event is freestyle and swimming. If he's not doing backstroke at some point, then goes in the training environment and starts bench pressing, he's in trouble, mm. you know?
0: So what, what are just like from, my, from my mind where I take in is I always kind of think of things like next action steps. I'm like, what is like a sort of a tool in terms of thinking for like, you know, cause obviously as you mentioned, everything's super individual, but what is like some of like your sort of favorite, you know, exercises and stuff? Cause obviously the programming's so yeah. important, but what are some things that you find commonly that you're like?
1: In the first three months, most athletes that come to me would have to earn their right to go back to prioritize quad and horizontal pushing work. Yeah. You know, so, so they have to earn the right, and even then, they might have some time in the saddle to to reverse. You know, I tend to sort of have a bit of a joke with a lot of athletes that come to me, and they go, "We look at their programming. We see about ten quad exercises, and I see about one hamstring glute you know, <laughs> posterior exercise." And I tend to laugh, and I say, "Oh, so you'll be sweet if we go ten hamstring glute exercises and, and one quad exercise for the next year?" And I look at them, and they go. <gasps>
0: i said okay no worries we'll fix it slow we'll fix it slow we'll go we'll go five you know may i interrupt you there because that exact same thing happened to me when i was training i remember back in the day i would literally only do like hamstrings after quad training And this was on my first bodybuilding competition i was like 21 yeah and i had to stop training quads for a whole year Mm. i literally i said to myself i'm like i can't i keep getting injuries with stuff just Mm. in my knees started hurting and i just stopped and i just trained hamstrings Yep. for an entire year i was like i need to catch them up yeah and then like within after that year they've, they've been so much better yeah but that was like early 20s and i was like so i was a prime example of what you would so just even
1: so relatively unconsciously you know you were relatively competent in understanding that maybe i'm compromised you know <laughs> dude so
0: compromised well i got told in the bodybuilding comps you got no hamstrings <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way, like, to, oh, a good way to
1: get an athlete to go train the hamstrings yeah, <laughs> yeah. like Problem is, is also, is there's a lot of influence of knee flexion dominant hamstring work. You know, there's a lot of influence in the market, it's particularly around running sport athletes they do a lot of knee flexion hamstring work. And I don't tend to think that a lot of the hamstring strains are coming from a lack of knee flexion tension. And what I'm saying is Nordic drops and hamstring curls, and that's all great. But if we look up a bit higher and we look at the positioning of the hips and we look at the force couple relationship the pelvis is meant to be held with them using the, you know, if the if the posterior rotation is influenced by the abdominals and the and the gluteals. And now, as a result of the amount of hip flexion work we've done from the quad training, we've prioritized. Now the pelvic position has left the building, so to speak, is is they may be compromised from a shape, but we're not prioritizing hip extension work, you know. And I refer back to Aaron, for example, is is he never had in his entire bodybuilding career done any. Hip extension work or knee flexion or hamstring curls. So it's basically he just used like to do seated and lying hamstring curl, and that was it.
0: Yeah. So essentially, like, it's hip extension exercises, stiff legged like deadlift, deadlifts, deadlifts.
1: And- yeah, as a result. And the way that you lift the deadlift is a big influence as well. If you change your trunk angle early in the pool, you know, these individuals doing a sumo deadlift because they feel compromised and they think that they can't, you know, do you ever ever heard an athlete say, I used to deadlift, but now I stuff my back so I don't deadlift anymore? <laughs> yeah. How many people will say that? Dude, so many. I, Everyone. I, I,
0: I stuffed my back, I was a deadlifting, and then, mm. but I just, deadlift
1: again yeah <laughs> yeah and it's like but the thing is is that it's because the deadlift notoriously is taught poorly you know yeah, they, they exactly don't, they don't know how to deadlift correctly they don't know how to maintain the joint relationship and they the biggest contributor is the load everyone wants to lift heavier load but they use the load in the absence of understanding their selective recruitment and maybe the position of certain joints when they lift the load so if if, if the deadlift being is causing you know the athlete to be compromised maybe you have to go down the food chain a little bit and maybe you know go to to isolated exercises before integrative exercises such as you know just like exercises that selectively recruit the muscles that you're relatively not using the most of you know so it's sort of that's a very individual you can't just make a statement say everyone should deadlift but there's a statement to say that the deadlift work in the bottom first portion of the deadlift is really done very well you know most people you know place a load more to the back of their body and they sit behind the bar and then they use their quads and then there's you know there's less transfer from that lift to a general population individual it's hard too and it's hard you know and and so and it's hard when especially when you're growing up because all you want to do and i've got videos i've done you know i've you know got battle scars myself from from my own past and and that's the way i've learned as i'm not you know i'm not perfect but in the regards to as as you grow up and as you begin to understand hey the way that i'm training might be compromising me i may need to change my technical model you know and over time you may be able to um gradually you know increase your ability about to control and maintain that technical model with more load but there's got to be a a discussion around is load a big variable is it is it is it a is it the most important variable i don't think it is you know i think that there's a lot of other variables first including selective recruitment including the speed of movement that you move the bars including you know including the um the yeah the selective recruitment and also the ability for you to control the load and 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 those factors may be more influential and in, in your hypertrophy potential particularly if you're a bodybuilder or just in a general population individual who's going to the gym regularly they'd be maybe more important variables for you to understand prior to then increasing the load because increasing the load there's a um disparity between between when you increase load obviously the repetitions go down but your ability to be able to lift heavier load with maintaining a technical model that you want is also compromised so it's 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 a battle between hey how much load is is good to be lifting I, a lot of athletes kind of me and a lot of time we're doing a lot of body weight stuff just to be able to understand the selective recruitment you know there's a series of control exercises that i was taught through my education and through my mentors is, is and and anyone who's done that with me will, will acknowledge that they're very hard they're not easy you know um and and unfortunately like take the single leg RDL. the single leg RDL was never intended to be loaded it was never a loaded exercise but the americans took it and now it looks like a texas oil rig you know with the, the <laughs> thing coming down and, and everyone's the other legs coming up it, it's kind of like this <laughs> it was never intended to be loaded but because the influence of everyone wants to lift heavy load it was it was added the back leg goes out the back door and then you tip over. So I, I would argue that load has probably had one of the most negative impacting effects on the way that most people train, and it's just the dominance of people's emotional attachment towards lifting heavy things, which is fine if you're wanting to be in the strength sports. I'm not. I'm not. You know, saying that you know you shouldn't lift heavy load, but there may be a time in the in the annual year, even in the strength sports, if you're a powerlifter. It's only specific to you to lifting the heaviest load when when your competition when you're competing. is competing, yeah. You know, yeah. so there may be a part of the year outside of the. Year. I've got a strong man currently, a pro strong man, and you know, he'll be the first to admit the sessions that we have, he'll struggle, he'll genuinely struggle with with a quarter, not even a quarter, even more, a tenth of the weight that he would usually pull in a deadlift in a competition meet. You know, I, he was he was really amused with with his inability to be able to control his own body weight. Yeah, this guy can pull 380, 400 kilo. You know, it's just like, but perhaps when we come back to pulling that load, now he has a greater ability about to control the load and also has a bit more of an insurance policy on his joints. He might not blow apart, you know? So,
0: bro, I just had such a, a thought just run through my mind and I'd love to see your thought on this. Yeah. It sort of makes sense for me, for example, for the people in the bodybuilding industry who want to be extremely lean and extremely healthy and all those things who get to the end of the competition. Phase. This is anyone who really wants to get lean. They go, I need to train heaps more. I need to do all this stuff. It's like, I just thought then, well, instead of training then, it's like spend the off-season training your hardest to put on muscle. And then when you're coming to a stage where you want to get leaner, it's like back off all the training load. Do, yeah. Would you agree or not agree with that?
1: I think, yeah, I think the that comes back to an individual's periodization model yeah, for true. the year. Yeah. But in saying that is what you're saying is, is, is true to an extent because – an athlete should, even in their competition phase for their, for their bodybuilding, there should be a, a time where we be specific. So if you've got a generalized year, say, for example, an annual year, you've got generalized phase, specific, specific phase, a competitive phase and a transition phase. So in the generalized phase, say, for example, you present to me with, you know, you've got a dominance for a more internal rotation. If we prioritize more chest at the short, in the short term, we may decline our ability in the long term. We might, I might say, Corey, you're competing in March next year. What I want to do is I want to reverse the prioritization of you training your chest so much in the short term but and we may place it to the end of the week and we may reduce the amount of volume in that area. But as a result, when we go to be more specific, say at the end of this year, maybe in September, October, leading into you know the final stages of, of getting ready to start to prepare yourself to compete, we can then increase our level of specificity. We can be more specific for you wanting to train your chest because you might say, Hey, that's an area I want to be my best on stage, or that's an area that I want to look the best. But if we go too specific in the short term, we actually become less specific in the long term. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, hey, if we as I explained it in some individuals, if if there's two there's a door you can walk through and there's two doors. And if you walk through the door that, you know, it gives you the things instantly that you want you kind of lock the other door you know whereas if you walk through the door maybe that's a bit boring in the short term but in the long term as a result of walking through that door first now you have access to both you know so being specific too specific in the short term may lead to being you know um less specific long term and and possibly even less specific because then you're injured as a result of training your emotional attachment towards certain things more so than other things yeah, it's an interesting uh, and that, that's go there's a bigger continuum on that for for athletes in, involved in running sport. How many athletes run in a straight line for a for a very long time? There's Not run, many, but not they, many. you can get
0: the marathoners and the The marathoners is an, is and an example bad boys that will get out there.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how they do that. <laughs> um but take take directional sport. Take AFL, rugby league, rugby union, take the, those big three as an as an example. Even cricket, you go to that example. Is is how long do they consistently run in a straight line for a long period of time? Not very long. That's how very long short. does a cricketer run for when they, when they chase a, a ball on the infield? Maybe 20 to 30 meters. When a bowler runs up and, and delivers the ball, how long is he running for? Well, my run up was 20 meters and I'd struggle to do that these days. And, but <laughs> if, it, if I was to run in and, and bowl six deliveries off a 20 meter run up, that's still not that much You know, training volume. It's not a lot of volume and it's not a lot of consistent running. My run up will take me five seconds to get to the crease and deliver the ball. A rugby league player, positional wise, there's different. Different requirements positionally. It, is in and rugby league is is you know is a second rower. You know his his running ability or his, his length of time he needs to run for it might be different to a center or an, or an outside back. You know, but but the, so the requirement for the athlete for being specific is a little bit different. But in terms of um of being specific from a from a from a running perspective, is, is how many athletes need to run in a straight line for a long period of time, but yet look at what athletes do in the off-season. They go run the hills, they go run the streets, they run long distances. My argument is for that is, is speed requires a larger degree of specificity, meaning that I don't want an athlete to break down at all when they run because if I think if we increase the, the volume of their running, we're going to see a greater um, reduction of ability to be able to run well. You know, so Charlie Francis is a great Canadian sprint coach. He coached Ben Johnson, 200, 250 Canadian records, 32 world records, and I think 19 or something, 19 or, yeah, 19 Olympic medals, I think it was. He quoted that anything over 500 meters total volume of work becomes an endurance session, not a speed session. Think about how many athletes do a bronco or a, or a beep test. Think about those as as requirements of this sport, and and trying to train or or training a speed session. Most people, when those speed sessions are running upwards of, you know, three four kilometers, you know, it's their adaptation towards the way their training speed has now actually been an endurance session. You know, and and furthermore, athletes running on sand, you may be declining their ability to, be able to run well on on the other surfaces. But yeah, it's
0: dude, it's that's crazy. It's a few variables. <laughs> <laughs> Well what what would you say to people? Or let me rephrase this question. What is the most important thing for people to know in regards to injury prevention? It's a big question. It's a big question
1: because there's there's many layers to that in itself, but even Comparing function to dysfunction, comparing discomfort to pain, there's most individuals walking around daily life have a level of dysfunction that they're not aware of in their body. They aren't conscious that they currently have a problem, right? You know and and me included in that is everyone has a dysfunction in their body that if you can try and change or try and mitigate, they'll they'll feel better about it. So my my biggest statement to, to most people would be to try and identify before an injury happens or just be proactive in understanding that maybe there's things that you could be doing in your current routine in your current activity and it's not as if it's not being done because everyone knows that they probably should be doing some sort of activation everyone knows they probably should be getting tension reduction work or soft tissue work on a regular basis you know by the time that you think ah oh, probably should go get a massage you probably need two by the time you think you probably should deload, you probably needed one two weeks ago you know like Everyone knows that there's things that they could be doing, but the way that the prioritization of, of on a continuum, the things that most of us are doing that we probably could be doing more of and probably doing less of other things. I take um, some recovery, you know, um, things, for example, is, is look at static stretching and looking at foam rolling on, on a continuum. Is, is for a professional athlete, say they've got 20 hours a week they can devote to their recovery. A general population individual who goes to the gym four times a week, they might have two hours a week they can dedicate to their recovery, you know. Of all the things that we could be doing in that time, what's generally the most prioritized for most people? I'll go get a treatment. Okay, fantastic. Treatment's a fantastic way of, of mitigating some some issues. It's the quickest way to change an issue, in my opinion, depending on what the treatment is. I feel as though on a continuum of what most people prioritize I think um, massage, soft tissue work, is, is probably the king of all. Uh, getting hands-on therapy is the king of all things.
0: Really quickly, why?
1: Because I think it has the fastest way to change the condition of tension and tissue. You know, you can actually change the the ability to change someone's joint relationship through through changing the the health of the connective tissue surrounding the joints. I think it has the quickest effect. Then probably, you know, um, after that, stretching. You know, having someone do partner assistive stretching, or you doing a, a solid stretching session yourself? When I say a solid stretching session, that's not just lying on your back and, and half on your phone and, or in between sets, putting your arm up against the squat rack and going, Oh,
0: yep. That's you actually be crying.
1: When you're stretching. Yeah. You should be genuinely, <laughs> genuinely stretching as hard as you train and, and really trying to change the, the health of the, of the connective tissue surrounding the joints. And then I'd go down further, you know, dry needling, maybe cupping acupuncture that sort of stuff and then you know your recovery pools and yeah and etc um, etc et but the generally the most commercially biased things that most people are doing is the things that we see at the recovery centers and the things that seem to be an easy incentive to, to pay money for you know and I, I tend to think that those things you know um, they might feel good they might be great in the short term but are they doing enough in the long term with the time that you have if you're a pro athlete, fantastic, go do those things. But if you're a general pop who has 2 hours, you know, you should be stretching, you should be rolling, you should be getting massage. You know, those are the king of 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 changing your health of your of your body in my opinion, the health of the of the connective tissue surrounding joints and the joint positioning. And then then looking at the way that you train and maybe rationalizing in your in your own head before seeking some other individuals or professionals help. Is there, is there things in my program that I may need to consider? its influence and why it's in there am i just doing it because once upon a time a personal trainer told me that's a great exercise am i doing it because i understand maybe as to why i'm doing that maybe might be influenced by knee pain or my shoulder pain or whatever i'm doing you know so so before i before i discuss you know an individual specific needs you need to understand is is what is my my allowance for time on that person and, and how much time can they actually devote to doing certain things and, and then the prioritization of devotion as to what I do. So, for example, is if, if an athlete's being compromised, they only can do two sessions a week. You know, Say, for example, you've led with for the last 10 years in your strength training, you've led with more horizontal push and more quad dominant work. You know, And I say, well, look, Corey, you've got three sessions you can train per week. That's what you've told me. And, and in those sessions, you've got a total of 90 minutes. The priorities that I want to have around that 90 minutes is I should have 45 minutes of soft tissue and stretching in that session i should have 45 minutes of prioritizing the weakest length of my training decisions so it's the opposite and then in that case particular it's the opposite so horizontal pulling and and hip dominance of of hamstring and glute work and involving activation of the abdominals and, and other things in there so rather than just thinking hey what's the current industry paradigms telling me i should be prioritizing what is my current history and what do i need to do for me
0: Dude, that's so important because I find myself with all my training programs and stuff as well as so I fall back into just old routines and old, old um, programs as well. You yep. start going to oh, because this was fun and I really like this. Yeah, it's like hard to consciously pull yourself out of that. So that was like really important.
1: I guess it's having a little bit less of a an attachment to. You know, obviously there has to be a, a, a fun component of training. You, yeah. can't, you can't lose the fun.
0: Save it to the end. It's the same thing. Like yeah. save, your, save your steak till last. To yeah. get a good bit of food is the yeah. same thing with your training. Yeah,
1: yeah. exactly. Like you, you still got to enjoy it. And I'm not trying to say that people should just remove the enjoyment factor just because, you know, but maybe there might be a larger thing to look at there as, as in the short term, yes, it's fun and it's great. But in the long term, now you can't do anything because of the, now
0: the, the nagging knee pain that you have, you know. Do you think it is important for everyone to train, and why?
1: I think it's important to to train, uh, but I think it's important to have an understanding as to what you're training, and maybe if it's having a significant impact on the way that your body is now operating. You know, I think it's important that everyone looks after their bodies in ways that you know increases their their golden year ability. You know, when they're in their in their later years. You know my goal in life is to get to the box and not have to give the surgeon any joints you know if i do that i'm pretty happy you know but i think that should be most people's other you know goal as well is if they can get through life and improve their quality of life as a result of the things i've done in the pre- previous years you know and they have and people don't understand they have control over those things they have a lot more control than what they think but often a lot of people sort of unconsciously are aware that they don't understand that the things they're doing actually have a, a greater influence than they're aware of you know until pain hits and they go i've got pain i don't know why you know
0: (laughs) yeah here's here's a good question and that is what what, in you in your career with everyone that you've worked with like what do you think is like the most like like the the, like the worst injury that you've seen that you've fixed that you've been like whoa like this was pretty hectic when this person come to me Mm. and this is where they are now Mm. i'd love to know the story
1: yeah, like there's how a, you felt There is a, well. a few there, to be honest. Um, the one that sticks out. Any major is. back injury is a big one to come back from. You like know, what? any bulge, disc bulge, any protrusion, anything that's you know disc herniation, anything like that is a massive one to, and it's a credit to any athlete to come back from.
0: Please tell me a story. <laughs> a story. I've
1: got multiple golfers, and I've got multiple individuals that are involved in like cricket and stuff like that, and and you would think that the way their health, their life, their everything that they. You know uh, the current situation that they're in you think that you know they'll never come back and play and i've had a recent story of a lady georgia Lindbrook. she's a professional golfer her career was done in her eyes in her opinion she came to me last october um couldn't swing a golf club had back pain um had was going to get a, her another nerve block because she thought that was the only thing that she'd get through her daily life she's back on the pro circuit currently so she's playing again um
0: how does it make you feel to be do that to someone, bro? <laughs> it's pretty cool.
1: Um, it is pretty cool to <laughs> It must about. be
0: overwhelming a little yeah. bit like, but holy like.
1: Yeah. I think it's uh, again, the credit shouldn't come back to me though, because I think that it, I have a set of tools that I have uh, available to me to be able to break an athlete down and work out as to the flaws within the current approach, but it still is still 100% the influence of the athlete, whether they take that step. You know, another example was, you know, a big one that most- But you got
0: the tools, man. Let's say you just, you you do have the tools. I'm like <laughs> I appreciate you for having them because yeah, it makes like as a professional athlete myself, it makes you feel like supported. It's like yeah. someone's got my back and I can go somewhere because as someone who's trying to just, you're just- focused on the doing all the mm. time like it takes so much time and energy you know it's like when you see the pro people do all this stuff mm. it's, it's nuts and a lot of them like myself i got to f- I own a business at the same time for that as well it's yep. crazy so it's like trying to do everything and then like focusing on your own stuff something yeah i do so overwhelming yeah thank you for no, having it, all the tools it, and learn all the stuff
1: <laughs> i think you know even not having all the tools or having all the tools it doesn't matter it's 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 either if if i don't know we're going to find out, you know, yeah. and, and, and taking that approach is, you know, some athletes will ask me, what do you think is going on? I go, I don't know. <laughs> we're going to find out though. That's the yeah. difference. You know, I take, you know, there's a reason my initial appointments are three to four hours long is because sometimes I don't know, the other day I had a young rugby league player come in and we went for five and a half hours, you know, and that was, that was one appointment, you know, and you know, and that's sometimes what it takes is, is sometimes in the world that I am in, involved in helping bodies, it, it takes longer than a 60 minute appointment, you know. And, and in some cases, you know, some people will do less than that. I don't fit in the industry paradigm of, hey, um, I'm going to see 20 people a day. And in that process, I'm going to try and touch as many people as possible and, and try and help as many people as possible. I want to help the person that I have in that moment, you know, and and, and if they leave, if they leave and, and we haven't done what we set out to do they have to come back the next day you know i've had cases where i've spent a whole day with one individual and i've said to my subsequent appointments you know i've got someone i need to spend a little bit more time with are we okay to reschedule you know and, and a lot they of people it, appreciate though. yeah they get it yeah. you know and because that's what just needs to be done at some point and you know that's not saying that everyone can fit into that same mold because not everyone has the same um requirements and this and the same needs whereas this this particular person was rugby rugby player who was very close to his competitive season coming up season and needed a lot of work in my opinion you know and 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 he needed to understand how compromised he really was going into competitive season he didn't have any injuries as such but was gonna have some if he wasn't careful so you know me influencing that person in a in a short period of time where he needs to understand that you know going into the competitive season he will see a problem if he doesn't address it you know so you know everyone has everyone has um imbalances everyone has things within their bodies that if you can influence in a positive way may have a better career may have a better end of life experience may have a better you know and and that's my job is, is putting the athlete first and and you know in the absence of 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 wanting um gratification for that or wanting to be seen as 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 the most important part of that there's a lot of Coaches get caught up on getting accolades for for what they do rather than understanding, well, what they do is what they're meant to do. That's their job.
0: They're meant to identify these things. They're meant to
1: help the athlete.
0: Do I think as well, like seriously, like I just have this little floss in my own. It's like, okay, so from especially the age of early 20s and teenagers until when you cark it. Mm. Essentially, it's like- prime time and one thing that all people that are older or jealous of of people that are in their you know 20s to 50s is their bodies Mm. and i find like our bodies are so important and i always say this thing like with people because i've worked with some pretty high level um, business owners and interviewed quite a few and they say like man young people put so much pressure on themselves to make money and succeed but you're going to make all of it when you're older, what you've got now is your body. And that's what we're jealous of. So I'm always saying like, this is my Lamborghini now. Even for the young people Correct. who do have Lamborghinis out there, you have another Lamborghini <laughs> and it's you're wearing it. Yeah. And I just think it's- It's a special piece of It, it is. Yeah. And it's so critical, I think, which where you come in is- like not only you do doing stuff, but you're teaching people about their bodies. Like, cause we don't know, we just know the feelings, but we don't know all the stuff. And I think it's so important to learn about your body on such a really critical, deep level. Cause if I just ask anyone listening to this, Oh, how much do you know about your body? Probably like, well, this thing's or Yeah. How much do you truly know about your body? Cause this is, this is it. Yeah. This is all we got. Like, like this is all we have. And it's like, I think it's essential that not just athletes, and not just people who are training to the gym, but everyone should know as much as possible about their bodies as they can.
1: And that's the thing is is this is where I argue with a lot of the the way the industry's gone in the last ten to twenty years is there's a larger influence of online work, and that's fantastic that now we are able to work with a variety of people in a variety of locations. But you know, when most programs are about as individualized as my cappuccino order, you know, it's it's. <laughs> it's really we're not doing enough justice to, to help those individuals the way they should be helped, you know. So there's a larger need for assessment. There's a larger need for understanding or allowing the athlete. You know, this morning, I, you know, there was a, a young lady in, in Melbourne. She was going to get some physical therapy, and I had to have a, have a voice call with, with a physical therapist to influence and help him understand as to what he needs to treat to help our situation, you know. So, so unless you're actively involved and really hands-on, even when you can't be hands-on, you know it's it's challenging because sometimes there's just not enough being done for a lot of people and then they go i work with this individual and you know now i'm broken for it it's like well there's two reasons for that is it's because you were really unconscious to what that individual was prioritizing for you and now as a result of you being unconscious you've got yourself to thank and him to thank or her to thank now that you're broken or now that your career is over or whatever it is you know um and and for a lot of people and, and particularly in running sport is you know if you've got a professional contract and in, in the NRL, you know, it doesn't really it matters, but it doesn't really matter because you can re, be replaced, you know. So, mm-hmm. so, so a lot of players get thrown in the wayside, and they're constantly trying to rehab. They're try, constantly trying to recover, you know. And and it's just the reality is that you know they'll just find another person. But your career is now done, you know. So, so there's just not enough being done, and there's a not. And like you said, you know, your body is your Lamborghini, but. <laughs> It's like not taking the Lamborghini to get serviced all the time. You know? Yeah, it's, I know. Yeah. It's still a car. It's still going to explode at some point. just taking it on the track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so it's, it's like you've got to – it's a bit of give and take. And it's also just trying to raise the awareness of the athlete, developing a bit more conscious competence over the things that they're doing daily and how that may compromise them. You know, so, so the, the influence of what they do and when they do it, the lifestyle implications, the sporting influence, and now the way that we train. And and if we take more control and understand those variables, we may have a greater ability about influence the athlete or the individual, you know, even if it's just getting to work and being able to work through your whole day without having pain or discomfort, you know, that might be a win. You know, there's different there's different levels of wins for certain different people. Someone might want an Olympic gold medal, someone might want to be able to get through their day at work without having pain in the neck. You know, so it, it is, but it comes down to your willingness to you know, it, it is a long road to, to assessing someone's body and trying to prevent someone from having injury. It is a long road, but it is doable, and it's just understanding as to how influential the decisions of their past and their future are to to making that that approach doable for them. Nick, how old are you, man? I'm 26 this year, so.
0: That is crazy. And I think everyone who is listening to this can also agree, like you are a master of your craft. I was oh, saying yeah. that you're a guru. I know you say not yet, but there's obviously there's you know, you got you go I'll black you know belts, I am. you go <laughs> black belts and grandmasters and grandmasters and stuff like that. But already, man, I can tell that you've spent so much time, energy, and effort and intention and thinking and all that stuff, like it's quite genius, man. Like you are a master currently of what your stuff is deserves a respect and dude like seriously where, where can people find you i appreciate it I, I don't
1: know if i'm on the guru level yet but maybe
0: <laughs> well on your way you're master <laughs> level bro you are master you're getting there god damn
1: currently i'm at um a gym in in helensvale called iron asylum i have an office located there um but i also work online with a lot of people and and um i can do that in a capacity where You know, we we make the best of a, what I say sometimes is a bit of a shitty situation. We can't be in the physical presence, but we do have the ability as long as the athlete's willing. You know, my mentor Ian back in the 80s and 90s had athletes competing in you know he was working with the american olympic ski team the canadian olympic ski team by via fax you know this is 2022 if if we can't influence athletes you know in a way this day and age you know um you know yeah fax me i'm gonna send you a fax um so so you know like yeah we have the ability um so I often get that, oh, do you know anyone that's located um in Melbourne or do you know anyone that's located in Texas or, you know, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, no, I don't. That does. And they often say, oh, that does what you do. And I go, I don't even know what I do. You know, I'm just in the business of helping people, and, and and you know, to define exactly what I do is a really weird thing. People often often ask me, "Oh, are you a physical therapist, or are, are you a physio?" No, it's like you're a human body coach. I'm just a lot. There's a lot smarter people out there than me, and there's a lot of people who know a lot more elaborate words. And and I, I, my job matter, is relatively simple. You know, my job is simple. On. All we have to do is is try and put the athlete's body first, and, and I have a pretty. You know, I'm pretty ob- obsessive mindset. You know, people know when they work with me, I, I'm pretty obsessed with making a situation better. You know, and it, it does keep me up at night. If, if a problem is, is nagging and it's causing problems, I, I get pissed off, you know. So, I take it directly personally as if someone's compromised. You want you on your side.
0: That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> get on my side, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And so, and that's, that helps with the psychology of the individual is because they feel as though, you know, for the first time, they've actually got someone that wants to genuinely help and, and, and wants to increase their ability. And, and that might be the difference between taking someone from a bronze medal to a gold medal or winning a, a trophy or, or just, you know, getting through life without having you know um you know feeling like they, they're they going nowhere or whatever it is is having someone to genuinely like because back pain for some people or lower, lower body pains or, or aches and niggles can really be de- debilitating for a lot of people it can really make you get know get you down man get you down, get down here. yeah mm. and it's, it's it's taking away the thing that we should be able to do the most which is move and and you know so so for a lot of people it's 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 a combination you know You go to your doctor, you get pain meds, and then you just go in that circle, and then you never get out of that circle. You're constantly just going back for medication, medication, medication. Then you get thrown to the surgeon. The surgeon goes, oh, we'll, we'll do this, and you come out and you have rehab, and you're still in the same situation six months later. You know, so for some people, they never fall out of that loop. Once my doctor goes to me, you know, oh, would you um, want me to send you some referrals? And I says, mate, the people that come for pain medication probably isn't the type of person I want. Not, no disrespect to people that go for pain medication, but you're not looking at the big picture. You're not identifying the things that I've done that have influenced me to be in the situation, you know. And maybe that's just if I was to highlight to that to them, they might be aware. But generally speaking, people want a quick fix, and these things aren't a quick fix. You know, you didn't you didn't hurt your knee overnight. You know, there's been a pre-existing. People think, you know, how did I hurt my knee? Oh, just you know, on the weekend I was throwing a footy around. No it wasn't just that you're throwing a footy around the weekend it was that it was a pre-existing addition to that knee and now as a result of you throwing the footy around you heard it you know so um you know you didn't just hurt it just kicking a ball around you know
0: too crazy what's your social media
1: um coach nick mccullum is my instagram um that's probably the best place to you know follow me along um but yeah
0: sweet i'll link all of those in the show notes below as well man thank you heaps for coming onto the show I appreciate it one more question though is I like to leave the show with like an action point for someone to do so for all the listeners who are listening I'd like you to challenge them just give them like one thing for them to do either like this week or like today this week for when they're listening and um, just for them to take away of have been like actually is it do something listen to something look at something implement like one thing for them to do to challenge them what would you encourage them to do (laughs) my challenge point would
1: be doing the thing that most people do the least of which is go stretch you know start looking after your body <laughs> start going and actually taking care of yourself in a way that you know your body's going to thank you for the latter. you know um do it do it in the, with the intent to actually change something don't just you know don't just stretch and think you've ticked the box have i actually changed myself in that situation is the biggest probably the biggest thing for me is is not enough people stretch and it's the the quickest the easiest the most cost effective thing that you can be doing right now that can change most of the issues in your body
0: Capital P-O-D-C-A-S-T to get the first $50 off of your first month. Can't wait to see you guys in there.